Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Driving the Deal. I'm Brian Fortune, and as always with me is Chris Whirling, partner in our Chicago office. Welcome back, Chris. It's good to be here again, Brian, with you. So we're coming off a really busy October. It was great. So many people were out there having uh, conferences again, getting together. And I don't think I've seen that many people wearing suits in a solid three years. So we're, we're kind of keen to go out and play dress up again. I must admit that wearing uh, dress shoes for the entire week of the Kane Brothers Conference and then our own event in New York was a less than thrilling experience after spending a few years in the tennis <laughs> shoes. Yeah, it does remind you that wearing dress shoes for like 14 hours straight uh, actually is not kind to your feet, no matter how good they are. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I agree, it was a really busy October events and being back with people after, you know, I think a lot of us could have traveled during the summer, but chose to spend summer doing uh, things with the family and traveling personal vacations. And uh, so that October seemed to be the month to reconnect with the business network. And in particular, those that are investing in healthcare private equity sector. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, one of the last conferences that I think we were all at was our own uh, McDermott's Healthcare Private Equity Conference in New York. That was great half day lineup. You were front and center on the stage for, for some of the those panels and uh, it was very, very interesting. So why don't we start with there? Like, what do you think some of the themes were from our conference and just kind of in the October conference circuit? I would describe it as cautiously bullish was the mood of the attendees. Um, you know, the general feeling is that healthcare will be a refuge in a potential recessionary period. The obvious, you know, kind of elephant in the room concern is what's gonna happen with both labor costs and labor supply, as well as debt financing. So, you know, even though healthcare as a sector tends to be fairly under leveraged, you know, debt has been an important tool for private equity investors to use, particularly in roll-up plays in consolidating subsectors of healthcare services that, you know, the, the, the lack of availability of debt, you know, will, will be a little bit of a, a road bump in, in the path of some investors. But generally, people, you know, cautiously optimistic that healthcare will be the typical, you know, refuge during this time throughout a variety of sectors. I would say for, for good assets that are coming onto the market, there has been a lot of focus from a large number of investors on those assets. So there's been a little bit of scarcity in high quality healthcare assets this fall. And when something does come out, you know, people are trying to preempt, there's a lot of activity and the prices are holding at last year's pricing. Yeah, it, it's interesting between our conference and then just catching up with a lot of our friends in the banking sector, there's definitely a theme of sort of two different banking segments for the near term. You know, the first one was, as you mentioned with the debt markets, a lot of our banker friends have signed up deals that I believe they will bring to market. But if they're bigger deals that have a lot of leverage, they've basically put all of those on the shelf for the near term for you know at least the next few months, see how things stabilize. But the other one is that everybody who's banking kind of the, the middle, lower middle, uh, you know, a lot of the smaller check size assets, uh, they're, you know, that they're keeping all of us very, very busy. Yes. No, absolutely, Brian. That's the what we're seeing is that the you know, lower middle market, kind of think of as the new platform formation space, 
where, you know, with our fund investors that are working with physician founders and other founders in the space to develop new platforms that are going to be working over the next three, five, maybe even longer number of years to build a new service line, consolidate a sector or region, you know, those investors are still hard at work right now. There's a lot of opportunities with founders. And in fact, some founders kind of are taking the mindset of like, hey, this is a good time to sell while the pricing might not be quite as high as it was in 2021. The advantage of now, if I take, if I get liquid on some of my, you know, holdings and can diversify that, there's a lot of great diversification op opportunities for founders right now. Right. So, so you know, if you got cash in 2020 to 2021 and invested in the stock market, you'd be down 25% right now. On the converse, you know, today, if people get liquid and need to make some investments, you can make some some really solid, you know, 6% return conservative investments, uh, invest at the stock market. I, I'm not going to call a stock market low, but it's certainly lower than it had been. And it's not a bad time to, you know, kind of diversify. So some founders are looking at that and saying like, hey, while pricing might be a turn lower, two turns lower, that diversification opportunity really makes it an opportune time for me to still examine a an exit right now. Yeah, definitely. Why don't we break down some of the stuff that we definitely think is still seeing a lot, of, if not a lot of activity, a lot of interest. You know, a lot of clients talking to us about fusion, ambulatory and fusion centers. Certainly cardiology is a practice group that that maintains a lot of interest. Home and community-based services, or or even now, now home health, maybe not immediately because we'll talk about this in a little bit. You know, there, there, there is a sort of payment system overhang that uh, is in the process of clearing out, uh, which we'll update on this call. You know, long-term interest in, in pretty much anything that, that is focused more on kind of homebound or community-based services. And then, of course, you know, with everything that's going on with the legal framework around Dobbs' decision, still getting a lot of, a lot of questions to help people navigate the, the landscape of women's health. Yeah, Brian, we're seeing interest in the same kind of spaces. I would throw dental in there yeah. as an area that has come roaring back. Dental, as everyone may recall from 2020, was uh, you know kind of the earliest and hardest hit specialty. And then last year, a lot of labor issues hit the space. Hygienist pay skyrocketed and availability just disappeared. It was almost as if a UFO came down and <laughs> sucked up 25% of the, the hygienists on the planet. Um, I saw that recruiting poster, Mar Mars needs dental hygienist. <laughs> right, right. But you know that seems to have stabilized is what we're hearing from clients and some of the larger practices and DSOs out there kind of reloaded with new capital and have been very active acquiring regional chains, as well as we see funds uh, and independent sponsors working on new DSO formation. So dental has definitely become active. I'd say one bright spot within dental as well has been subspecialty space, endodontics, oral surgery, been very active. Yeah, no, that's good. Dental always kind of a mainstay. If you're not looking at anything else in healthcare, you might be looking at dental. So another space that's been really active this year, and I know you've been really active in it as well, is on 
Pharma Services. So walk us through kind of what's been on the on the deal front in that space. Funny you should mention it, Brian. You know, if I rewind like four or five years ago, Pharma Services was a little niche where I had a number of clients investing regularly. They didn't frequently have to deal with too much competition in their deals. And because it was an area that required some decent amount of specialty knowledge about the pharma industry, some of the science behind either manufacturing or development. And it just wasn't something that that all investors were active in. So fast forward now post-COVID, when a lot of people spent their lockdown time learning about mRNA technology and how the vaccines were developed, it appears that many different investors are looking at pharma services as a, as a great opportunity. But setting aside the mRNA learnings of COVID, it's something that people are looking at because of the you know kind of recurring revenue streams that these pharma services businesses present. And those recurring revenue streams with some of the new products that have come out have only gotten stronger. So you yeah. look at the new wave of gene therapy products that are coming to market. Those are very complicated to manufacture. They require a lot of clean room time and other kind of supply chain related components that once it gets specced into the manufacturer of that drug is recurring revenue for many, many, many years. And that's true both on the manufacturing side, as well as on the commercialization side, right. the commercialization of some of these products is it takes a wider variety of service providers and the large pharma biotechs are looking to the service providers to help them you know, get those products out there, talk to clinicians about the benefits of prescribing, work with insurers to get coverage and everything in between. So pharma services, you know, definitely got a boost post COVID because of the exposure that the pharma biotech industry got generally, but now these long-term scientific trends and developments really have the eye of private equity. So we have had quite a few healthcare investors move into the space over the last six to 12 months. And I'd say the other interesting element of the space too is how global it is. We've been very active with some of our US-based funds uh, doing acquisitions in Europe uh, in pharma services and also helping some European funds that have platforms in Europe expand into the US. So really interesting niche within healthcare and you look at the penetration of outsourcing with the large pharmas and biotechs, there's a lot of room to grow. I'd say the one thing that people are looking at as a potential risk is the current financing markets for younger biotechs. Yeah. So, you know, in making an investment in that space, one of the key diligence issues is like looking at the customer base. And if the customer base is over-reliant on, you know, kind of startup early stage sometimes even preclinical biotechs, then there's a little more risk there because right now those companies are not able to IPO. The venture investors are pulling back on their investments and it's rough times for new funding of biotechs. Many of them did get a significant amount of funding over the last year or two um, and have some good runway, but they'll be reliant on the IPO markets kind of reopening, capital markets reopening um, in 2023. And that can be a risk factor to, to look closely at in that space. A lot of interest. And I, I don't think that's going to wane. Maybe the timing of some of the deals might drift a little bit. So another thing, now that we're doing kind of our, uh, our Halloween edition, uh, it, it's not uncommon that um, you have a, a big 
drop of regulations. So just got kind of the four big calendar year rules just came out. Start off with the top very, very quickly. You know, one thing that got an enormous amount of interest was what was going to go on with the home health rule. And, you know, obviously there was a big payment system overhang. The proposed rule was was like a net negative 4% uh, and change update. So net negative. Uh, we had advised all our clients that, you know, CMS would not likely back off that much in the final, but uh, we expected they would follow kind of their template for skilled nursing facilities and they would take their their large, you know, 7.7% roughly adjustment and split it into more than one piece, probably two. And that's what they did. So the numbers changed. The actual adjustment number grew from 7.69% uh, to 7.85. Uh, however, they did split it into two parts and, and in an interesting way. So the the overall impact uh, for this year was instead of the whole hit all at once, they're applying a negative 3.93% adjustment uh, against everything else. So when you add up all of the moving parts, uh, the projection is that home health would receive a payment increase of about 70 bips uh, or about 125 million for next year. Um, for the second year of this adjustment, you know, CMS said that they were going to, you know, do it over two years. But, you know, if you read their language, there's a little bit of fluidity in there in terms of exactly what they're going to do in year two. And, and that sort of tracks with the other thing we've advised clients on that we believe that this conversation is now going to move to Capitol Hill. They're going to do legislation in December. And home health is in a good position to kind of negotiate a better deal with the Hill for various reasons. I won't cover them all on, the, on today's episode, but something to watch as we head into December. I think home health is going to come out of this okay. And I think CMS knows that because they kind of left what year two, two looks like with a, a degree of grayness. And that's not uncommon. If they you know, we'll note that when uh, when we talk physician services in a second, CMS sometimes just sort of leaves something hanging because they expect Congress is going to jump in and, and do something on it. So also final dialysis rule came out. Uh, not a lot there to really discuss. It was very similar to the proposed rule. Dialysis gets a 3.1% payment increase. Our analyst and, and also our producer, Elle, is on the call, and she's going to give us a quick take on the hospital uh, outpatient ASC rule uh, and also the top line on the physician fee schedule rule, which came out as well. Starting with the physician fee schedule, we really saw exactly what we expected come out of CMS at the final rule. The conversion factor cut is a negative 4.5% cut across all codes, but we expect Congress could intervene with the phase in similar to what we were expecting with home health. There weren't any surprises from what we saw in this proposed rule, not meaning there was nothing that popped up that we didn't expect that we've seen in the final rule. It finalized positive changes for behavioral health treatment, pain management reimbursement, and gastroenterology. It also reaffirmed our view that we could see pressure in 2024 to 2027 from the rebasing of the Medicare Economic Index, though we are seeing that stakeholders are starting to weigh in on asking for a delay and or increased transparency. So we do expect that there will be some movement on this in the near term. Moving on to the hospital outpatient rule, we saw that ultimately there was a large discrepancy between the final rule and the proposed rule. And that this is mainly because of the recent decision with the Supreme Court in the American Hospital Association versus Becerra. 
Last rulemaking cycle, CMS tried to go through with a payment cut for how they reimburse 340B drug hospitals. The Supreme Court decided that CMS moved unlawfully when implementing a payment cut for 340B drugs. Because of this, CMS is finalizing a general payment rate of ASP plus 6% for drugs and biologics acquired through the 340B program in the final rule. This is consistent with the policy that CMS has for its current payment of drugs not acquired through the 340B program. As a result, and due to this, CMS needed to finalize a negative 3.09% cut to payment rates for non-drug services to keep the policy change budget neutral. With these necessary budget neutrality adjustments for 340B and others, the net effect that payment versus VIC procedures will go up only modestly, even though payments to hospitals overall will increase by a higher amount. CMS estimates that the combined effect of all changes for the cycle year 2022 will increase payments to hospitals by 4.5%. Thanks for that, L. That was a great rundown of the rules. And, you know, on physician services, we will be breaking that down uh, further with specialty impacts uh, coming up very shortly. So look for that. Let's just close with a look ahead to next year again, Chris. You know, one theme that, that definitely has come up in the last month is that a lot of the private equity funds, they still had great raise years and they're still sitting on a lot of money. So, you know, when you think about that, and then you also think about, you know, a credit market that's gone sideways and, you know, might stay that way for, for several more months, you know, what, uh, what do we think about that for the future in terms of, you know, deals as we head into Q1 and 2 next year? Yeah, I mean, in order to continue investing and staying ahead in this market, we're working with clients that are just getting creative. One of the challenges, for example, has been lenders not wanting to extend a DDTL capacity, that's delayed draw term loan, which DDTLs that are extended by you know, leveraged buyout lenders have been some of the fuel of consolidation within healthcare because equity sponsor can have the confidence to invest in the space and know that the lender is going to commit you know, $30, $50 million in delayed draw loan availability. That's loans that they can draw on to do add-on deals. So lenders right now with a lack of clarity in the market are a little more hesitant, a little higher prices for that DDTL capacity. So we're seeing equity sponsors will step up with equity to bridge that gap. You know, one potential solution is to put in equity from the fund alongside some equity from some of the physicians who invested you know, previously or rolled over into the platform and doing some sort of convertible preferred instrument that gives them some of the you know, return features of being a lender, but it's still equity, qualifies as equity, you know, through the loan documentation, it doesn't futz with the capitalization too much. You know, that's kind of a bridging option that I think we'll be working with clients through during this phase of uncertainty. But you know, I'd like to think that overall, the attendees and panelists at the event a couple of weeks ago in New York were right. It's uh, healthcare is going to weather this recessionary period fairly well. And it's going to be a, a great time to put money to work in new platforms that will come out of that recession really strong. Most importantly, will be the innovators in providing new services and bringing new products to market to continue the 
improvement of the U.S. healthcare system. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Driving the Deal. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, and as always, my uh, partner in uh, thoughtful comedy, uh, Chris Whirling. More content coming. Join us again soon. Farragut will be doing a, a webinar focused on uh, physical therapy with, with an executive from, from a major PT company. And obviously, we uh, we have continued notes coming out about the regulations uh, that just came out, particularly in physician services, where we'll break down the, the various specialties. And if you watch your email this week or next, you should be receiving information about our presence at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. After a couple of years of cancellations, we're excited to be back in San Francisco and we'll be hosting a full day of programming out there and meeting with clients and have a number of management teams that we work with there. Generally looking forward to San Francisco weather in January. So we'll- And uh, networking. We'll be networking over ping pong at spin once again for a long hiatus. So that's it. Thanks again, everybody. We will see you again on our next episode of Driving the Deal. Take care. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.